Well, first and second Thessalonians, uh, we're seeing that a church is born. Uh, and as we uh, start to look into this, uh, these two wonderful letters, uh, probably the first uh, two letters that Paul ever wrote, maybe Galatians was before this, but uh, maybe first and second Thessalonians. So it was early. Interesting, too, that. Uh, Paul was not in Thessalonica very long uh, before he was run out. Uh, He and Silas and uh, some others. Uh, So the church, but he was there long enough to get things started and to get something going. And it's really instructive to see uh, if you're in ministry at all, if you're involved in any kind of ministry or you aspire to be in ministry, It's very instructive to see how this church came together and uh, that wherever Paul went, uh, he went to evangelize. Yes, he went to preach the gospel. He went to uh, tell people uh, about Jesus Christ uh, and their spiritual need for forgiveness. Uh, But part of that, too, he always uh, made sure that he left behind leaders in place. His goal was always to plant a church, uh, to see uh, a permanent work uh, be born and to start. Uh, and, you know, uh, if nothing else, Americans are very pragmatic. And if you know what that word means, that means uh, if it's useful, we like it. Uh, you know, if it's going to get the job done, uh, then we can, you know, buy into it. And I think uh, we saw a little bit of that with this election we just went through, uh, where many people in our country, uh, and I'm not speaking favor one or the other, I'm just analyzing the situation, that many people in our country were just <laughs> fed up with, you know, politicians and everything in Washington and all that. And here comes this guy uh, with a beautiful hairdo, you know, and... And he's like, you know, what? we're just going to get we're just here to work. We're just here to get things done, you know, and that resonated with people because that's very American. Uh, But, you know, Paul is very pragmatic as well. Some people accuse the Bible of not being very pragmatic, not being useful. Uh, Well, I would encourage them to take a closer look, Uh, especially Paul's letters. Uh, He lays down theology, but he always then presents uh, usually the second half of all of his letters is uh, practical advice or counsel on how to live. So his letters are very practical. And we'll see as we uh, look at this church uh, in First uh, and Second Thessalonians, uh, how it came together. Uh, I wanted to, uh, uh, and we might belabor this too long, but I thought that uh, it would be important to mention Uh, We use the word ministry a lot. This church was founded uh, by Paul's ministry. Silas helped him. Uh, Luke was part of the team. Uh, Timothy was part of the team. Uh, Right there is an important principle. We forget that these apostles, they didn't minister and serve by themselves. They were always part of a team. Uh, And ministry works better uh, in teamwork. Uh, and uh, just listening to Joey, uh, I'm glad I sit up front and then people couldn't see me like giggling and laughing. But uh, ministry is best in a team setting, but that doesn't come without its challenges, right? 
I know our church has only sinless team members, but, you know, a lot of other churches struggle uh, because they're full of sinners. You know, uh, we don't know what that's like here, do we? Uh, but so it has its own challenges. Uh, and we'll see in a moment. Do you realize that before Paul uh, took off on his second missionary journey where he planted this church in Thessalonica, uh, that ministry was launched from a very sharp disagreement. Uh, he and Barnabas uh, really got into it, uh, and it was a very serious uh, disagreement, so much so that they just split and decided to go in separate directions. Barnabas took John Mark and went to Cyprus, uh, you know, and Paul took uh, Timothy, and they uh, went on this second missionary journey and so on, So, or took Silas. Uh, so, not without his problems, we know later in 1 Corinthians 9 that obviously Paul and Barnabas had reconciled, but... But uh, even those leaders at the very top, the Apostle Paul, uh, they had their teamwork issues. Uh, But it's interesting the word ministry is a word uh, that we throw around a lot that we may not really understand what it means. It is a word that's in the Bible. It's even in the Old Testament. And then you come into the New Testament. You, you know, Paul says that he's a minister of the gospel. He talks about the ministry that he has and the ministry that other people have. uh, and sometimes we don't understand what that word means, but uh, I just went to Webster's Dictionary uh, and I saw uh, the definition for ministry is the person or thing through which something is accomplished in service to another. Uh, it's the person or thing through which something is accomplished in service to another. Uh, if you're going to have synonym for ministry or if I'm going to minister to someone as good synonyms would be uh, service. Uh, or to be an instrument or to be the agency through which something happens for another person. Uh, but it's a, a huge uh, idea in the scriptures. In fact, on the back of your outlines, you'll see there's a few questions. Uh, and looking at this word ministry is going to help you answer that first question. I'm going to try to include questions every week on the outline uh, because it's a good way for us to apply uh, what we're hearing. Uh, but if we even go uh, all the way back, First uh, Kings nineteen twenty, First uh, Kings chapter nineteen verse twenty one talks about how Elisha arose, followed Elijah, and began to minister to him. So that's all the way back deep into the Old Testament. Uh, even in the whole Israeli Hebrew structure uh, in First and Second Chronicles. Uh, you see um, that many people were being appointed uh, and raised up for service for ministry. First uh, Chronicles six verses thirty one and thirty two. If you're into music, you're going to love it uh, because it says that there were those appointed in Israel to the ministry for singing and for music. Uh, so there was a music ministry, which we, I believe, were extremely blessed this morning. Uh, by a ministry of music uh, that we really enjoy. First Samuel chapter two, verse 11 says the small boy Samuel uh, was left there by his father and he began to minister to the Lord along with Eli, the priest. And Samuel was just a little boy. So what does that tell us? Can children be involved in ministry? Yes. OK, hello, McFly. Anybody home? All right. Yeah, some of you are like, oh, yeah, children can and should be involved in ministry as well. Luke chapter three, verse 23. When Jesus began his ministry, he was about 30 
years of age. That's an interesting verse. Uh, When he was about 30 years of age, Jesus began his ministry, his official service. Acts chapter 1 verse 15 says that Judas was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. I mean, so there can even be people involved in ministry uh, that uh, may not even be born again. That's something that only God can determine. Matthew 27 verse 55 is interesting because it says nearby the cross while Jesus was being crucified, there was a group of women who had followed Jesus from Galilee and were ministering to him. Uh, taking care of him, a place for everyone to serve. Just looking over my notes, I have a lot of other uh, Bible verses here, but we can skip over some of these. But some of them I don't want to skip. First uh, Corinthians chapter 16, starting in verse 15. Paul says the household of Stephanus were the first fruits that we had in the area of Achaia. And they now have devoted themselves for ministry to all the saints. Uh, You should be in subjection to such men and everyone who helps in the work and labors. Because they have refreshed my spirit and yours. And in their ministry, they have supplied what was lacking. Uh, It's interesting that word for ministry there is uh, diakona, which, of course, what does that sound like? Deacon or deaconess. Uh, Very interesting Uh, Let's see, just a couple more. I just want us to focus on this. Colossians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul said, please tell Archippus to take heed to the ministry that he had received in the Lord and that he continually fulfill that ministry. Uh, In other words, motivating and spurring people on in the church to uh, stay true to a ministry or to a work if God has called them to it. Second uh, Timothy four says, but you, Timothy, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. See, this is a big word. This is a very important idea in Scripture. Uh, take your Bibles, uh, turn to Ephesians chapter four. I want you to see this uh, with your own eyes. Ephesians chapter four, uh, particularly verse twelve. Uh, but I want to check the neighborhood, see if any of the other verses around there. Let's see. Uh, Starting verse 11 of Ephesians 4 says Christ gave to the church first some as apostles and prophets. Uh, He gave to the church some people to be evangelists. He gave some to be pastors and teachers. And what for verse 12? He gave all these offices to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. And that word there is the word ministry. In fact, some of your Bibles may say. Uh, He gave these offices to the church to equip all the saints so that all the saints could be part of the ministry or the works of service uh, to build up the entire body of Christ. So to answer that question on the back of your outline, is ministry intended by God to be for everyone in the church or just a select few? Yeah, everyone, everyone. That's God's design. That's what uh, the Lord wants uh, in the local church. Uh, everyone to be uh, involved in ministry, everyone helping with the ministry, uh, having different roles. So Paul, his ministry is obviously the scriptures tell us to the Gentiles first. Uh, That's what he was called to do. But whenever he visited a new city, uh, he would go to the uh, synagogue first, because that's where uh, even the Jewish believers would be. Uh, That's where he would make his contacts. 
So he on a second missionary journey, uh, we see some uh, uh, important uh, principles uh, as we go into this text. Uh, we see where he got to start in Acts 15. It says, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back to every city where we have already proclaimed the word of the Lord and let's see how they are doing. Uh, so let's see how they're doing. These are churches he already planted. He wants to go back and make sure that they're doing OK uh, or places that he's already been. He wants to go back and see if people are doing all right. So we see an important ministry as this team comes together uh, or important principle of ministry, that principle of teamwork. Uh, we see that it began with a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, uh, but that teamwork is still vital uh, those God ordained and Christ pleasing relationships to get things done. Uh, and in all honesty, uh, in Acts uh, 13 and Acts 15, where we see the team coming together and there's a disagreement, uh, I really do believe that Barnabas should have subjected himself to Paul's authority uh, because Paul was the apostle uh, and Paul had the authority. And I think uh, now it doesn't mean Paul couldn't be wrong. Uh, but in a disagreement like that, I really think that Barnabas should have uh, followed Paul's lead. Uh, so they travel. They come into that area. Uh, they're proclaiming and uh, they are discipling. If you go to Acts chapter 15 with me, these are just some important principles of ministry that I want us to see. Principles that were in play when Paul planted this church in Thessalonica, where the letters we're going to be studying. Acts chapter 15 uh, if you uh, look at, uh, let me see, verse 36, it says, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return to the brethren, every city uh, in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Uh, so another important principle is the ministry involved proclaiming and discipling. Uh, proclaiming would be uh, evangelizing, uh, sharing the gospel with people who have never heard it before. But then on his return visit, it also involved when he says to see how they are, uh, to check up on them, to disciple, to make sure they're still growing uh, stronger in their knowledge and their obedience to the Lord. Uh, so a good ministry has both uh, evangelism and discipleship, which matches up with Matthew 28, right? Uh, which our Lord said. Uh, we should do when we're involved in ministry. So he's encouraging the new believers, but Paul and Silas, they're arrested on false charges and they're beaten and they're put into jail. Uh, God delivers them uh, and they were even able to lead the jailer and his household uh, to faith in Christ. Uh, and this is in Philippi where they went first. Uh, so they encourage the believers there. Uh, they leave Philippi. They travel about 100 miles by foot and they head down to Thessalonica. Uh, but a very important uh, thing we want to see in chapter 17, verse 1, Acts chapter 17. Look at Acts chapter 17, verse 1. It says, now when they had traveled through Amphibolus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. What we want to see is it says they had traveled through. Uh, the word is they bypassed these two other cities to get to Thessalonica. Why would they do that? I think it demonstrates uh, that Paul had a plan. 
his ministry had a plan. He had a structure. He he had a thought in his mind about where he wanted to go and what he wanted to do. He didn't bypass these cities because he didn't care about them. But he had a policy in his ministry to go to the largest cities first and to see people saved and to plant churches and have those people then reach out to the smaller areas around that city. Remember, Christ had just died a couple of decades earlier, uh, and Paul is going to areas that people have never heard of Jesus before. Uh, so he wants to go where all the people are living uh, in order to be able to reach the most people. Uh, some people will try to tell us, uh, you know, uh, if we just follow the Holy Spirit's lead uh, and we can go out and minister, uh, that is true. And we are told in this account in Acts uh, that they were ministering uh, to the Lord in Acts 13 and the Holy Spirit uh, prompted them uh, to set aside Paul for ministry. But following the Holy Spirit does not mean that we don't have a plan. Uh, It doesn't you know, some people mistakenly think of the Holy Spirit as a feeling uh, or as a hunch or an intuition. Uh, Some people even mistakenly think of the Holy Spirit as the conscience. Uh, Our conscience is not the Holy Spirit, because even the unbeliever has a conscience. Uh, The conscience is something that God gives every single one of us uh, when he creates us uh, to help us know right from wrong. And the Bible talks about how some people have their conscience seared uh, and they're no longer able to tell good from evil. So, yes, following the Holy Spirit is a biblical principle. But as Paul shows us, it doesn't mean uh, that we don't have a plan. Uh, And there's some very interesting verses there uh, about following uh, the Holy Spirit or making plans. Uh, I want to look at Proverbs 15, 22, uh, mostly because when I put that down there, uh, now I don't remember what it says. So uh, but if it's on there, it's got to be good. Right. Okay. Uh, Proverbs 15, 22. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, plans will succeed. Uh, So plans are a good thing. Chapter 16, verse three, commit your plans to the or commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. It's okay, and it's good to have a plan. Having a plan doesn't mean that we're not depending on the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul has shown us that he did have plans, and sometimes the Holy Spirit changed those plans. Uh, And what happens when that happens is that uh, he's told that uh, he was hindered from going into certain areas that he wanted to go. So we see here this important principle of organization. Paul trying to reach the Gentiles. He goes to the synagogue in Thessalonica uh, because he knows he'll get an audience there. Acts chapter 17, verses 2 and 3, uh, if you look at the, those next two verses, we see another important principle of ministry that we see as he's working in Thessalonica, uh, that Paul always puts forth a systematic theology. Uh, and what do we mean by that? A systematic theology is having a clear understanding of how all the scriptures fit together. He uses some interesting words in Acts 17. Look at verses 2 and 3. In Acts 17, and according to Paul's custom, see his plan, his habit, what he would normally do, he went to them and for three Sabbaths, he reasoned uh, with them from the scriptures 
explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. So uh, a few different words here. Uh, He says he reasoned with them. Uh, In other words, he's asking them questions and giving answers. Uh, We could use the word dialogue, maybe. Uh, Then it says he's explaining or he's opening up the scriptures to them. Takes his Bible, the scriptures that he had, and then his experience with Christ. And he tells them what he knows. Uh, And he obviously would use the Old Testament scriptures, explaining to them about Christ and the gospel. Then it says giving, uh, uh, alleging, or literally it means to give them uh, what the Bible says. He says he puts the scriptures before them. In an orderly manner, when it says uh, giving uh, the scriptures to them, he puts forth the scriptures in a very harmonized, orderly manner, systematically, so that they can understand what he's saying. Then he says he was preaching, and that means to proclaim or to announce. So we see that Paul's not only teaching the scriptures, but he's also preaching the scriptures, proclaiming Christ. He's urging his listeners to receive Christ by faith. That's what he was doing in Thessalonica. That's what ministry is. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We proclaim Jesus Christ to those who don't know him. And then when people accept Christ, we want to teach them and disciple them. We want to equip them with skills to get involved and help with the ministry. Proclaiming, teaching, equipping. That's ministry. Then I think God gives us a lot of leeway, a lot of freedom uh, on how we make that happen. So we can learn some things uh, from Paul's ministry uh, as we look at how he planted this church. One other thing we see, another biblical principle that's at play when he's in Thessalonica, an important principle of ministry is opposition. There's always going to be opposition when we try to serve the Lord. Whether we try to serve the Lord corporately together or you're making a resolve or a commitment to serve the Lord privately on your own. Just assume there's going to be opposition. Always. Always. Paul even says in First Thessalonians that Satan was hindering their ministry. And he's told that the Holy Spirit uh, wasn't opposing him in a bad way, but was changing his plans. Uh, And we know what, if you look at Acts 17, look at verse 5. Sometimes do we just gloss over this when we read uh, about these apostles and these people who are serving the Lord? Uh, They're beaten. uh, They're thrown in jail. uh, They're beheaded, the book of Hebrews says. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 says that because people were followers of God, they were sawn in two. Uh, We just gloss over those things. Uh, We don't understand maybe uh, the deep depth of commitment uh, that many have demonstrated toward Christ. But look at verse five of Acts 17. But the Jews becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, they formed a mob and they set the city in an uproar and attacking the house of Jason, who obviously was a believer. They were seeking to bring them out to the people. And when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some other brethren out in front of the city authorities. And they were shouting, these men have upset the world and now they've come here also. And Jason has welcomed them and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, this Jesus. 
So they stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. Uh, And when they had received uh, a pledge or Jason had posted bond uh, for him and the others, they released them. Uh, So great, great opposition. This is in uh, uh, the beginning of Paul's ministry, trying to plant this church. Uh, Now look at verse uh, 13 of the same chapter, Acts 17. So they leave. Uh, It says in the brethren, verse 10, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night down to Berea. Uh, from Thessalonica. So they're there and they get run out of town. Uh, But if you look at verse 13, but when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul down in Berea, they came down there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Wow. Those people had a bee in their bonnet, uh, to say the least. That's a 50 mile journey by foot uh, from Thessalonica down to Berea. So they run him out of town after putting him in jail and beating some of the brethren. So Paul uh, has to escape. Then they hear, hey, he's down here now. Let's go get him. I mean, they they just wouldn't stop. Uh, Did Paul stop ministering? No, no. He understood opposition to the believer. Opposition to the ministry is really opposition from Satan toward Christ. We're just servants of the Lord. We're just instruments, tools, the agency of the Lord for ministry. And Satan, yes, hates us and hates what we're doing. But more than that, he hates the Christ whom we serve. And so that's why the ministry is always opposed. But I would encourage this. If we reflect back on the teamwork aspect of ministry, we want to be careful that we're not being used of Satan to oppose the very ministry that we're a part of. Uh, Because we can be. If we're like Archippus uh, or Timothy, who had to be told, hey, you're turning into a little bit of a slacker in your ministry. Paul told Timothy, you need to reignite the fire for ministry. It's starting to flame out a little bit. And he didn't say it this way, but he was probably thinking, dude, you're causing problems in the ministry because of your, you know, your flames starting to go down a little bit. So we want to make sure that we're not playing in Satan's hands. I mean, Jesus even said to Peter, right? Peter tried to keep Jesus from fulfilling his ministry. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me. And Peter probably thought, what? Because Christ knew that Peter was his servant, but also that Peter could be influenced by Satan to hinder the ministry. So as we go through first and second Thessalonians, we'll see Paul has uh, he's going to address some weaknesses of the Thessalonians. So there were weaknesses in their relationship with one another uh, that could be potentially hindering to the ministry. So what are some lessons uh, that we can take out of what we've seen in Paul planting this church? Uh, so they're run out, uh, but they continue to minister there. Uh, they send Paul out. Uh, says Paul out to go as far as the sea and Silas and Timothy remain there in Berea. Uh, now, those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens. So Paul ends up in Athens. What happens is uh, he gets a really good report about Thessalonica. And so he's so encouraged and happy. So he sends Timothy back uh, to minister to those people some more. Uh, so Paul loves these people. Uh, he's not there that long. There's great opposition 
but they trust the Lord and they keep serving. So what do we see? We see that God uses people to accomplish his work, right? Who did, who did one author said this? God did not send angels to evangelize Thessalonica. He sent a converted Jewish rabbi and his friends, including a young man, Timothy, who was part Jew, part Gentile. So God uses people, dedicated people who will obey his leading and will share his message. Jesus said. What did he say? The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth workers into the harvest. And we know from studying the language in that verse, he's not saying there aren't enough laborers. What he's saying is there aren't enough laborers willing to go and labor. There's no shortage of available labor, Jesus says. There's a shortage of desire to labor. That's the problem. We battle the flesh, we battle the world, we battle the devil. It hinders ministry. Secondly, we see a second lesson. Or secondly, we hear a second lesson. That's a double. The gospel is still the power of God today for salvation. So many gimmicks out there today. So many programs, you know, so many marketing strategies. You guys, if we want to see people come to know Jesus Christ, we have the tool right here. It's the power of the word of God that brings people into the kingdom. So we have to know what the word of God says. Romans 1 verses 18 and following. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. And the Holy Spirit will not bring salvation apart from the application of the word of God. It is interesting. Hebrews chapter four says the word of God is living and active, penetrating like a sword into the soul and spirit. Just share the scripture that, you know, with people who don't know the Lord and let the Holy Spirit take the word of God and penetrate someone's heart and life. Third lesson, God's plan today is still the local church. Everywhere Paul went, he planted churches. He'd go into a town, no believers, people would come to know Christ. They plant a church, they appoint elders, they appoint deacons. He trains them, he teaches them, he may leave someone there to help them, and he's on his way to the next town. God's plan still today for the age in which we live is the local church. Where we equip you to work in the ministry Uh, The local church is the place that the gospel goes out from, goes forth to save the lost and to disciple believers. And then finally, uh, what do we see? That persecution can be uh, a means of growth sometimes. Paul and his team and these new believers in Thessalonica were facing tremendous pressure. And even the beginnings of persecution, and they were just baby Christians. But what was the result? The result was that they grew And they grew rapidly, not just in number, but spiritually. We see that God's spirit strengthens and encourages suffering saints as they go through the difficulties of the Christian life. I think some of us want the Christian walk to be easy. Uh, We don't want any opposition. We don't want any suffering. We don't want any sacrifice. Even the smallest sacrifice is too great sacrifice for many in the church today. We have no idea 
We have no idea. Look at Paul's burden. I think we're on the back now. We're going to fly like the eagle to get through this. Why did Paul write this letter or these two letters? There were some things that he wanted to accomplish, some things that were on his heart for these Thessalonians. First of all, he wanted to reassure them of his love and concern. He thought of them as friends, as brethren. He left that city in a rush at night. He probably didn't want them to think that he was deserting them. His enemies, too, were attacking his character, trying to tell these new believers that Paul was just some charlatan who was out for money uh, and prestige. Uh, And by the way, during that time, there were a lot of those type of people traveling around. A lot of false teachers uh, who were just in it for the money and the prestige. And so he wanted to reassure them that was not him. Secondly, he wanted to ground them in the doctrines of the faith, particularly Specifically about Christ's return, uh, because they were going through persecution and always when we're suffering, there's a temptation to compromise. Uh, There's always a temptation to compromise what the scriptures say when pressure comes from the outside world. Uh, And boy, uh, I don't know. I hope you're not sleeping at the wheel or taking a cat nap. uh, But there's tremendous pressure on us as Christians today. Uh, to, to change our understanding of the scriptures, to embrace things uh, that we know aren't biblical. And I'm not going to go into details, but what makes it even harder is when you have people who claim to be followers of Christ, and maybe they are, maybe they aren't, they embrace things that aren't biblical. You can have, when someone who claims to be a believer denies the faith and walks away from the Lord, what do we call that? We call that apostasy. But what makes it hard for us today is when you have someone who is genuine a believer, but they promote something that's not biblical. We call that person a heretic. They are born again, but they're teaching things that aren't biblical. And that makes it even harder. There's tremendous pressure uh, socially to accept things. And I think it's only going to get worse, according to the scripture, according to what Paul told Timothy and what Paul wrote the Romans in Romans 1. Uh, it's just going to get worse. Thirdly, Paul encourages the Thessalonians to live a holy life. One writer said this, he said, keep in mind that temptations to immorality were rife in all these ancient cities and that sexual sins were not condemned by most of society. Well, now that's a stretch for us, right? We don't we can't really understand that, right? Uh, Sexual immorality. All over the place, the culture endorsing sexual immorality. Uh, That's the age we live in, right? So some things in Thessalonians are going to really ring true with us. Fourth, he wants to uh, help them in their confusion about the return of Christ. Uh, They were confused about when Christ was coming. Some of them had loved ones that had already died and were afraid that they had missed Christ's return because there were some false teachers saying, hey, Christ has already returned. And you guys were left behind. So he's going to set the record straight on that. Uh, Specifically, he wants to clarify with them about the day of the Lord, which is the second half of the great tribulation, the time of the greatest suffering the earth has ever seen. And then finally, he's writing this letter to correct some of their personal weaknesses. Uh, Some of the members were not responding and honoring their spiritual leaders as they should. Others were refusing to work 
arguing that because the Lord was coming, it's only logical that I not work. Uh, I'm trying not to laugh, but uh, I don't know what to think about that. There were there was some confusion uh, also in their public worship services that needed to be corrected. Uh, So for all these reasons, Paul, like a spiritual father, he's writing to his children uh, and he pictures this church like his family. He uses the word brethren uh, 19 times in First Thessalonians and nine times in Second Thessalonians, Uh, 28 times or 27 times. He calls them brethren. So lastly, see the background of first and second Thessalonians. We see Paul's burden for the Thessalonians. Now, what is the blessing uh, that we will receive as we study these two letters? Do you realize that each New Testament letter has a special message or blessing? I think that is uniquely its own. Think of it like this. Romans emphasizes the righteousness of God and shows that God is righteous when he deals with both sinners and believers. First Corinthians focuses on the wisdom of God. Second Corinthians on the comfort of God. Galatians is all about the freedom we have in Christ. Philippians is about the joy that we have in Christ. And Ephesians stresses what the wealth that we have in Christ. So what is the special blessing in first and second Thessalonians? It's this. It's that the message of the return of Jesus Christ is a true doctrine. And it's a vital doctrine that can affect our lives and our churches and make us more spiritual. The return of Christ is mentioned in every single chapter. And by the way, you may think, well, sure. There are many churches who dismiss prophecy today as simply irrelevant or many turn prophecy into just fanciful speculation. When our Lord intended us to be motivated to live a holy life in service to him, With the thought in the back of our minds that he could return physically and visibly at any moment. I fear that many of us as his followers, as his children, don't even think about the fact that our Lord could return at any moment. And by the way, when we study the scriptures, we see his return, the rapture of the church to be taken up to heaven with our Lord is the next scheduled event on the prophecy calendar. Everything else prophesied in Scripture up to that has come true. Everything prophesied after that has yet to be fulfilled. Paul didn't look on this doctrine of the Lord's return as just a theory that we're supposed to talk about, but he presents it as a truth that we're supposed to live. Here's just a snapshot of the differences between First and Thessalonians. They both discuss in depth the return of Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians focuses more on the rapture of the church. We're caught up to be with him. Second Thessalonians is going to focus more on the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning when he actually returns to earth and the judgment that comes with that. So we're going to see the differences. Uh, The return of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, actually happens in two parts. First Thessalonians, we have the rapture of the church up to be with the Lord. Second Thessalonians, we have the return of the Lord literally to the earth to set up the millennial kingdom. And this should be an encouragement to us, a comfort to us. Uh, It should be something that motivates us to live holy lives. We see first Thessalonians that the rapture is a sudden secret uh, event 
happens at any time. It can occur today. It's called the day of Christ. Second Thessalonians, we see that Christ will come to the earth with us, the church alongside of him. It's part of the predicted program of prophecy we see in the entire Bible. It can occur only after certain other events happen. And the scriptures call it the day of the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Meaning God's day of great wrath. It's truth. It's not just theory. It's not some fanciful sci-fi Hollywood movie. Paul writes it. And if we believe that the scriptures are the word of God, then we believe that our Lord will return and that we should be motivated to be living holy lives, serving him and waiting in eager expectation. So this is first and second Thessalonians. These letters should give us assurance for the future, should give us encouragement in witnessing and walking with the Lord, should give us comfort in the loss of our Christian loved ones. And more than anything else, as we study through first and second Thessalonians, I think we're going to see that these letters will bring us stability in a world that seems very unsure of itself. The world seems very unsure of itself. A lot of fear, a lot of worry, a lot of anxiety. But we as Christians, Paul tells the Thessalonians, we know the end of the story. We don't have to be consumed by the worries of the world. We don't have to live in fear because we know the program that God has for this planet. And we believe it to be true. Let's stand together. Let's close with a word of prayer. Hope you're encouraged today. I'm excited about these two letters. Next week, we're going to roll up our sleeves and jump into First Thessalonians chapter 1 uh, to see what God has for us. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your encouraging word. Uh, I thank you for not just the Apostle Paul, but uh, as we study through the scriptures, uh, sometimes, usually at the beginning of letters or at the end of letters, we see lists of names, uh, names we can't pronounce, uh, names that look very strange. Uh, but these are names of everyday people uh, who became believers in Christ and then who dedicated themselves uh, to ministry who had to work for a living, had to provide for their families, take care of their homes. And yet they devoted themselves also to ministry, caring for other believers in a lot of different capacities. Uh, and and I think it's an honor that, uh, Father, you're actually honoring these people by having their names recorded in Scripture. Uh, may we be inspired by them. Uh, may we reflect this week uh, on our own involvement in ministry. And the truth that ministry, according to Ephesians 4, is for every person in the church. That every person in the church should be involved in the strengthening of others in some way, serving others in some way. Uh, so, Father, I pray you bring conviction on those who are not plugged into ministry. I pray you would bless those uh, who find joy in serving you. Pray you'd guard our hearts from discouragement, from bitterness, from disappointment. Uh, may we find our joy as we serve you uh, only in you. Uh, may we understand that uh, we are your servants uh, and that all results, all effectiveness uh, are just the result of you as our Heavenly Father. So thank you, Father, for your many good gifts to us. Thank you again for the rain. Thank you for this day of rest. Uh, thank you. We could be together with our spiritual family and friends. 
Uh, and my prayer is that we are strengthened and encouraged uh, and motivated to live for you as we leave here today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming today. Hope you're blessed. Hope you brought your umbrellas. And we'll see you next week, Lord willing. <laughs>